0: Some interesting news came out today as I was looking at social media, actually. And it's just about Zillow. And Zillow was talking about how two-thirds of homes were currently underwater. A second part of that is Zillow's stock tanked as a result. And they'll probably get bailed out, but there's more on that in this episode. And furthermore, this episode is going to be really more focused on identifying some creative strategies that I've used in the past for my own real estate business. So let's jump into the episode and talk about the 10 ways to negotiate creative strategies. And there's a lot more. I mean, this episode is about an hour long. So buckle up. It's a lot of good information. It's a lot of helpful information. It's a lot of mindset, things that you'll need to know if you are sitting down with sellers. So again, let's jump into the episode. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out of the box real estate investing strategies, brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. It's your friend, Adam AAA Adams, and I'm filling in for your host, Jason J. Lou Lewis. Actually, I'm really excited to be here with you today, recording a fresh new episode for you today. But it's interesting how this episode isn't even fresh. I mean, it's fresh. I'm recording it today and it's being published tomorrow. So it's that fresh, hot and ready. Get it off the press. But the interesting thing is that these concepts have always worked. These concepts have worked from the beginning. In fact, this is how we founded this creative real estate podcast is because of these steps. And I want to pour in to you and I want to help you with the 10 steps that you're going to need if you negotiate creative real estate strategies with sellers. So here's what I'm saying. You don't want to freak out a seller when you start talking about creative real estate. So there is a special direction that you follow these 10 steps. If you're going to do this, I want you to take notes. If you're actually going to do this, you'll probably listen to this more than once. You'll take really good notes and you'll make sure that you're doing these in order because if they're not done in order, I have noticed by talking to hundreds, multi, multi hundreds of different sellers and offering creative strategies for their deals that it works really well if you follow this order. And if you go out of order, some sellers, not all of them, they kind of freak out and they're like, what are you trying to do? You're trying to pull a fast one on me. We're not trying to pull a fast one on anyone. So let's get started. Actually, you know, before we start, I want to thank Jason J. Lou Lewis for letting me record an episode that I thought was important. And second, I want to say that the strategies that we're going to be using, it works if you're doing wholesales. It works if you're doing multifamily. It works if you're doing buy and hold, single family, fix and flips, assisted living, all of the different types of real estate purchases, these creative financing strategies work for them. So it doesn't matter if you're a wholesaler or what you're doing, it's going to work for you. There's other things. There's like house hacking, there's Burr Strategy, there's Nomad, there's self-directed accounts, there's HELOCs and syndications and master leases and property trades and entity structuring. And there's all these other things. Uh, 1031 exchange, you might hear it's taking my jacket off. There's like 1031 exchanges and how you can like save those taxes and move it on. There's cost seg, there's step up bias, step up in basis, like when you pass this on to your children. And, and there's all these cool creative strategies. But the ones that we are going to be talking today are these six. Loan mods, lease with option. And I say lease with option instead of lease option. They're the same thing, but technically it's two pieces of paper. The third one is quick cash. That's a creative strategy. Most people don't know that. Sub two or mortgage wrap, and additionally, seller carry and partnership. So those are the ones that we're going to be talking about, even though there's tons more creative strategies. Let's jump in. So I've always had a goal of helping other people just wanted to stop foreclosures nationwide. And these 10 steps, they help to stop somebody who's about to lose their property. So I've got slides in front of me. You don't need to see them. They don't matter, but they do help me make sure that I hit these on point every single time. You should know what a do on sale clause is, so please get your notebooks out, write down do on sale clause. Hey, some of y'all already know what that is. That basically means when you put a property in somebody else's name, but the loan stays in the seller's name, It's the loan is allowed to come due. That's basically all it means is the lender is allowed to, if they want to, if they have the right, it's written in the contracts that they have got the ability to call the entire note due. And this scares a lot of people. The do-on-sell clause scares a lot of people when they're thinking about creative financing structures because they're like, oh, don't do it that way. Don't do it that way. I have been doing this for many, many years. Since 2005 is when I got in real estate investing, that's been 16, 17 years now. And I've seen this happen multi-times from all the greats. I literally was just at an event with all of the people that wrote all of those books and had all of those infomercials—I was literally just at an event four weeks ago with a bunch of them, and they still do this. And nobody's worried about the do-on sell clause, so you probably shouldn't be too worried. But a little disclaimer: if you do get in trouble, it's not my fault. So at any rate, when we were talking about loan modifications and things like that, I was on another podcast. Joe Fairless, big shout out to this great guy, Joe just adds massive value. Similar like Jason. These are just great guys that you want to be around. Joe is a friend of mine. I was on his podcast maybe four years ago or something like that. And I mentioned to him that I helped a few people out of their loans by actually getting a loan modification going. So I I would talk to the bank on their behalf. And sometimes they would just need to get on the phone for a moment and There's all these different things. But the point is when I was on Joe's podcast, I was like down and about and sad because when I did loan mods, you're not allowed to make money. And so anybody who's saying like you can make a whole bunch of money by doing that creative financing strategy, sorry, it's illegal. I mean, at least in the state I live in, you are not allowed to make any money by helping someone modify their loan so, it's one thing that you might end up having to do a whole bunch of times and it's just to benefit other people. And I was like kind of sad when I was talking to Joe. I'm, I was like embarrassed cuz I was being interviewed on his big podcast and he asked me like, "Well, how many of those have you done?" And I was like, "I've done maybe about a dozen of them and he goes you know how much did you make on them i didn't make any money and he basically says well how many referrals have you gotten because of those and i and i don't remember the detail you'd have to listen to the podcast but it was like i remember that i had brought in a little bit of money like a couple of deals had come in through those 12 they shared somebody else and we actually did make money and so we'll just call it a few grand And so even though I did all that, it was like I was still making like a thousand bucks per loan mod or something pretty cool like that. So even the things that you do that are in the best interest of the seller, and you might not be able to make money, this is a takeaway for you. Even though that might happen, I want you to have your heart in the right place. If your heart isn't in the right place, then you're not going to get a lot of good stuff done. And that's like what Jason, the host of the podcast, that's what he's doing all the time. His heart is in the right place at every step of the way, and I want you to emulate this guy and be the full of integrity and full of care about other people. I'm trying to remember that guy's name. (laughs) I always forget it. Um, Zig Ziglar. I'm pretty sure he says, "If you help enough other people get what they want, you'll have everything in life that you want." I live by that. Jason lives by that. You should live by that as well. And so, even though you might not make money on the loan mod, if we can get this takeaway through this uh, Joe Fairless podcast that I was episode as I was on, I still technically was making money by doing that because it ended up resulting in money because I did the right thing. Just like Zig Ziglar said, if you help enough other people get what they want, you'll have everything in life that you want. So who knows what's going to happen with the real estate? Something came out today from, uh, oh, what is that? Zillow. Okay. Zillow, basically their stock went down very, very much lower than it was before because they said something like two out of three homes right now are technically underwater. And so all of a sudden the Zillow stock is starting to plummet don't worry. If something happens to Zillow, I bet you anything that the government, i.e. the taxpayer, will pay for it. So Zillow will probably be fine, but they are hurting today. They are really, really, really hurting. And based on the fact that they're talking about two-thirds of homes are underwater, this is the reason why I'm bringing you this topic today. We're talking about potential possible pre-foreclosure. So what is foreclosure, i.e. pre-foreclosure? Okay, Foreclosure is the actual time that the lender takes the property back. We are talking about pre-foreclosure right now. Pre-foreclosure is basically the foreclosure process. What I call pre-foreclosure is what everybody else usually calls foreclosure. It's the process of them trying to get foreclosed. It takes several months, even sometimes it takes years, but it takes a little while for them to finally be able to take the property back, kick you out, take the keys, and you got to go somewhere else. Not you, but the people that you're potentially going to help this year. So here's kind of the four steps of a pre-foreclosure. There's a notice of a default issued by a lender. That's step one. Step two is if the owner does not pay the past due amount to the lender, then the lender may proceed with the next step, which is notice of foreclosure. Now, every state calls this something different. I've done real estate in Florida. I've done real estate in Missouri. I've owned real estate in uh, Florida, Missouri. I can't even freaking name all these. Texas, Ohio, uh, Alabama, Georgia. Where else have I owned? Colorado. Where else have I owned? I know there's more places, but that is not the point of this podcast. The point of what I'm saying here is step three is called something different. Step three of pre-foreclosure is called something different regardless wherever you are. They're either going to call it notice of default, notice of foreclosure. They're basically going to set a date. The fourth one is a public sale or a public auction. Okay. They now own it and they get rid of the property. Fasten at a discount because banks are not in the landlording business, so they get rid of it, and it goes to what's usually called a foreclosure sale. Now, there's tax deed foreclosures. Yes, that's not specifically what we're talking about. We're talking about the foreclosures with the lenders when the lenders are proceeding with foreclosure. So, that's basically what it looks like to go through pre foreclosure. And what we're talking a little bit about today is how do we solve that? Here's five ways to solve it. And I'm going to, the first three are three that I like, the second two are the kind that I do not like. I like refinance having them refinance their loan. If their credit can count, if their credit score will be able to work for that, if their income can work for that, if they look good on paper, they can hurry and refinance before anything happens. I love that. Next, forbearance. Forbearance is basically them just saying, hey, can I please have three months? Can I please have six months? Can I please have 12 months? Everything else is set up. May I have this? And you can negotiate with the bank on what a forbearance is. Now that might be partial payments or no payments, like literally suspending the payments for a whole year and but not necessarily modifying the whole loan yet. The modifying the loan is the third one where they either take the amount of back payments and drop it down or take the back payments and put it on the end of the all of the fees and everything at the end. Or they'll lower the interest rate. Maybe you were on an arm rate. Some of y'all don't remember what this was. Back in 2008, a few years into my real estate investing, we were talking about arm loans, ARM, adjustable rate mortgages. They thought that because properties were rising so fast that we could just have an adjustable rate mortgage, and it would be fine, but what ended up happening is that was one of the things that in two thousand and eight and two thousand nine and two thousand ten and two thousand eleven as well, but in two thousand and eight, stuff started hitting the fan for lack of a better word. Stuff started hitting the fan, and we were like freaking out. Some people were able to do this, but the banks were like aggressive, and then they got bailed out like. Zillow might get bailed out by the government. These lenders, they all got bailed out and it didn't matter. And so not very many of them wanted to modify a loan, but a lot of the smaller ones were modifying these loans. What basically means, hey, I'm sorry, you were on an arm where this basically means that you were at 5% and then now you're at 12%. I might be exaggerating the numbers there, but 5%, 12%, it's a huge difference. Why don't we put you on a set 5.5% or 6%, can you afford it? And they say, yes. And they're like, all right, we'll modify the loan. So those are the three that I like on the alternatives to a foreclosure or a pre-foreclosure. Refinance, forbearance, and then loan mod. The fourth one is short sell. And the fifth one is deed in lieu of foreclosure. Now, I actually have a sad story to share with you here on the deed in lieu of foreclosure, but let me share with you what was going on in 2008. 2008 was when I was looking for my first multifamily. I was ready to buy a multifamily. It was 2008. Most of you know that I've been in real estate since 2005. So three-ish years after, I was managing properties. I owned a piece of land that I ended up making 12,000% on. It was awesome. I love that. Then I was managing properties for other people, an 18-plex, a four-plex, and a condo. So not very many units, 23 units, three different properties, and then I bought my first multifamily in 2008. And if you could imagine these five things, refinance, forbearance, and loan mods, these are above the line. These are above board. These are what I like. These are what I want you to do if at all possible. And short sale, and deed and lieu are the ones that I want you to not do if at all possible. Here's what was going on. When I was looking to purchase those properties in 2008, short sales were a big thing. I was looking at like four plexes and five plexes and three plexes and things like that. And short sales were starting to happen because like, with the Zillow thing, as of today, with the Zillow thing where they're talking about people being underwater, that's what was going on back in 2008 as well. Short sales were a thing. And um, man, it was weird because the seller would say... I want 500,000 for this fourplex for let's just say I want 500,000 for this fourplex and we say well no it's not worth 500,000 it's worth 400,000 and they're like unable to sell it to anybody at all and so what ends up happening is you've got to find a way to get the lender to approve of some Sale short of the amount that they owe, so they're like, "Well, I owe five hundred grand. I can't come out of pocket a hundred thousand dollars to sell my apartment building. How will we do this?" So the lender started doing what they call short sale. They would accept something less than the loan. Here's the reason why this is below the line. Here's the reason why short sale and deed and lieu are below the line that I say avoid it at all cost if you cannot do these, please try the ones above, refinance, forbearance, and loan mod. So short sale is where a lender might be willing to sell it for less than the balance owed. Deed in lieu is where the lender doesn't go through foreclosure for you. Instead of doing foreclosure, they just take the deed back. Now, I was about to share this triplex that I bought in 2008. And I house hacked it. I lived in the triplex I, and then I moved out and I rented all the units and then all hell broke loose because of the time that we were in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011. It was hard, especially 2009 and on in Utah, where I did this first uh, apartment, this multifamily that I did was right there. And it was tough in 2009. At any rate, let me tell you why I don't like them. That's what you're like, well, get to the point. Why don't you like these things? Here's the thing. Short sales, the reason I don't like it is because many times, you got to be careful because sometimes they could be good, but many times, meaning the lender who's letting the seller get out of a $500,000 loan for just $400,000 and writing off that difference, what do they do with that other hundred dollars Have you ever wondered that? Well, in most cases, sellers in 2008 and potentially 2022, let's see, sellers in 2008, 9, 10, and 11 thought, oh, I'm just going to wipe my hands clean of this property. Thank goodness that the lender was so graceful and kind to me. And then they go to pay their taxes it's April the following year 2010 they sold it in 2009 now it's April of 2010 they're going to do their taxes and they're like yeah I made only made 25,000 this year it was a hard year and so that was my net profits and I did really bad and what ends up happening is the CPA might say no it looks like you made 125,000 I mean the seller the guy who sold that, or the gal, is like, "No, no, no, no. I clearly know. I was barely pulling two grand a month. I did not make over a hundred thousand dollars. I think I'd know if I was making ten grand a month." And they go, "No, it shows right here from Wells Fargo or from Chase." And you know, I'm not picking on any lender. Let's just say they're all created equal. Whomever that lender is, okay, it looks like they paid you a hundred grand and you're like, no, they didn't pay me shiz. What are you talking about that they gave me a hundred thousand dollars? And then we find out that because they were forgiven that little piece of that debt, they put it on their taxes. And so somebody might make 25 grand in a year, you know, net, obviously. I don't think anyone can live off 25, but let's just say net and all of a sudden they have to write a check to the IRS for 25,000. So that's why I don't really like short sales because it can be counted as income depending on the lender that you're using. So I prefer you to just stay on the other three, deed in lieu. I actually gave up that triplex as a deed in lieu. I had moved to Florida I had two kids and I was managing it far away. And I it came down to a point where I was like, Hey, it's November of 2011 or whatever it was. Yeah. November, 2011. And I go, Hey, I called my lender. This was a creative deal. So it, I actually knew the lender personally. It was not a bank. I got someone to make loan out to me to buy the property. And then basically put the property in my name. So I owned the property. My name is on title. And it's a long story, but the short of it is I call this guy, his name's Tom. Great guy, by the way, just such an amazing person. And I felt so bad. I felt terrible. I call Tom and I say, hey, I don't think I'm going to be able to pay you this month. And he's like, well, can't you do this? He gave me a few ideas. And I'm like, I tried that. I tried that. Can't you use a credit card? I'm like, dude, I use my credit card. Can't you get a second job? I got a second job already. Man, things were tight back then. And I was embarrassed, but I I did a deed in lieu. Back then, I didn't know it was that big of a deal. And I also didn't know that it would go and stay on my credit for, I think it was like 10 years. I looked bad for like 10 years. Another reason why I started this podcast several years later. I founded this podcast in 2017, I think. It was either 2016 or 17 when this podcast came out first. And what ended up happening is this was after my experience in 2011, losing my property to deed in lieu. And so from 2011 all the way to 2017, I wanted to still invest in real estate. And so I had to do everything creatively out of the box thinking if you read rich dad poor dad it's this is the big takeaway that i got from it don't say i can't say how can i don't say i can't say how can i instead of like saying man i can't invest in real estate i don't got money i can't invest in real estate my credit sucks i can't invest in real estate because i don't have enough friends or whatever the excuse that you may have You can use actually creative financing, creative real estate to solve that. So yeah, I did a deed in lieu of foreclosure, 2011, and it followed me around for however long it follows you around. I think my credit was affected by that one thing probably until 2015 or something like that. I don't know the the amounts of times, so you can look it up and let me know, but I remember it sucked and it lasted for a while. Those are the five alternatives to foreclosure. Again, refinance, forbearance, loan mod. Those are the good ones. Short sale, deed in lieu. Those are good. They can be good, but they can be also a challenge to the person selling the property. So I'm hoping you can help them do the alternatives. I don't know how I'm doing on time, but I've got a lot of good content to keep giving to you. So here we go. Here are the 10 steps. You first offer for the seller, to refinance their loan. Hey, why don't you try to refinance? You're negotiating. Hey, I want to buy your property. They're talking about, hey, I'm in pre-foreclosure. I'm not sure how to solve this. I want to get out of this. So you offer refi. Why don't you go refi? Hurry and refi while your credit's still good. Get new terms. It'll be great. Right? Second, uh, loan mod, loan modification. It's similar to refinance, but the loan mod is when you don't necessarily qualify for a regular refi. And it's more of like a forbearance type of thing where you actually ask them to change some of the terms to support the who I call the seller. The owner, they're currently the owner of the property. So you, you're you like, hey, why don't you try to refinance? Like You're helping them before you're trying to make money. Why don't you go try to refinance? Second, Why don't you try a loan modification? I can even help you. And I've helped maybe a dozen people where I've called the bank, usually had to put them on the phone or had to have them send a letter. There's always some type of, there's always somebody on the phone who wants to really make sure that I'm not messing with somebody's money. So they're like, let me make sure. So I'm like, here, here's the person, verify their social or whatever you need. And then I'll talk to you and I'll try to see if I can help get this mod, loan mod. This is the short thing for loan modification. That was step two. Step three is that the owner should rent it out. So I know this sounds crazy. You're like, Adam, I just want to make money. Adam, I just want to buy the property. I just want to do quick cash. Hey, that's step six. You're skipping steps. If you're really going to help people get out of foreclosure, then you got to go in the right steps. So, step two, loan mod. Step three, owner rents it out. So, you say, Mr. or Miss Seller, why don't you do this? I personally have X amount of rentals, or I personally know people that have rentals, and they say that they make 300, 400, 500, 600 bucks a month, or even 100, whatever. Uh, Let's not be overzealous here. My friend says he, he owns a property and he makes about 100 bucks a month on it. After all of the expenses, he's netting about 100 bucks. And uh, why don't you try that? And th- now you're listening. By the way, another big takeaway is we are using questions. We are controlling the conversation with questions. We are listening intently. We are understanding. We are asking follow-up questions. If you don't know what's up, like a doctor who's prescribing a pain med or anything else to you, whatever. I'm trying to think of all the things that a doctor would do and none of them are good. So I'm not going to use any other examples. I'm just going to say pain meds. You go into the doctor and you say, "Uh, something's wrong with my wrist. My wrist is falling down. I can't move it. And he goes, here's two aspirants. He doesn't ask a single damn question. He just goes, here's two aspirants. He doesn't do an x-ray to care to see what's inside there. He doesn't call anyone for you. He doesn't look it up for you. He doesn't ask probing questions. So you leave and you're like, I might've got a misdiagnosis. And that's what we're talking about when we're doing these 10 steps. Hey, why don't you do a refi? That's a question. Hey, have you tried a loan mod? I've heard that it can work if your credit's not good or I've heard it can work if all of the pieces work except for the payment or have you tried a forbearance or whatever. And then if they say, I can't do that, then we say, well, why don't you keep the house and just rent it out? I know people that make like a hundred bucks. And if then say, because we're listening intently like a doctor who's prescribing, if they then say, I don't have time for that. I have never done it before. I don't want to do it. I just want to get done and, and let this out of my sight. That's when we go to step four. Write it down. Step four, lease option. And here's why we're talking about like refi and a loan mod, they are similar. So the loan mod is the crazy sounding one that you'd never want to say before you say refi. Lease option is the crazy sounding one that you never want to say before you offer them to rent it out. First, you want to say, hey, do you want to rent this out? I know some people that make some money. And they say, no. Then you go, why don't we try a lease option? Step four, a lease option. And they're like, what's that? And you say, it's just like you renting it out, but you'll be renting it out to me. I will be the leasee and I will sublease it out to someone else. I also would like the option to buy it at a certain price if you're okay with that, but I'll make sure that at least your mortgage is covered for the next, name your term, two years, whatever. You know, Instead of you having to get different tenants and clean it up and pay for the painting and uh, worry about all that stuff, I'll get it from you. I'll pay you the amount of your mortgage and then I'll sublease it out and I'll make money, but I'll be doing the work and you don't have to worry about that. I'll be the best tenant you've ever had because I'll pay for everything with a lease option. So they're like, huh, that sounds good. So that's why you offer it after you offer, why don't you rent it out? And then they say, no, that sounds horrible. And you say, I'll be your best tenant ever. Okay. Step five is you don't want a lease option. Why don't you list it with an agent? And you're like, Adam, that's not creative real estate. It's just listing with agent. Everyone does that. This is the 10-step sequence if you are going to negotiate these terms with your seller With the owner of the property who may or may not be going through something like death, divorce, foreclosure, et cetera. You say, Why don't you just list it with an agent? And they say, Oh, that's a great idea. Hadn't thought of that. And you say, Yeah, that's how you get the highest dollar and highest, biggest bang for the buck. If they then say, Yeah, but I need it sold quickly, then you can go back in and say, I can go buy your quickly terms, but you have to go with my price. I learned this from someone who was on our stage a long time ago, Matt Terrio. What's such an awesome guy. I love Matt. Matt is a great person. He's in a mastermind. I'm in a mastermind with him. Like We're all in the same group and he's got another great podcast. And this guy always taught me that if you control the price, they can control the terms if you control the terms, they can control the price. You've got to hold on to one of those. Basically, if, if they say, I need this price, then you say, I can give you that price, but I can do it in this way. Basically, I'll pay you over, over a million years. I'll give you a dollar a year for a million years. And then I'll give you, that's how I'll give you your million bucks or whatever. Like Just illustrate that you can control the terms and they can control the price. Or if they say, I need it sold today. If I don't have it sold today, X, Y, Z is going to happen. That's when you offer, well, maybe you can't list it with an agent, but I could buy it. I just have to buy it for this price. If you want it to sell it quickly, if you want to sell it today, step six is I can give you quick cash. Generally speaking, now this is not forever thing. Like, Do not quote me on this. This is just how it's been for the last many years. It will change and it probably will change by the time you're listening to this, even if you listen to it tomorrow. But it's basically that we try to buy a property for 70% of its ARV after repair value, 70% of its ARV minus, and then we minus out. (laughs) A lot of people forget this. They're like, I just buy it for 70% but it needs like 100% of the same amount of work that the place needs. They're like, I'll buy... So you got a house that after it's repaired, it's going to be worth 100,000. It needs 30 grand. I'll give you 70. That Don't do that. You've got to do it for the 70%, which is 70,000 minus those repairs that we talked about before were 30,000, which is only 40,000. So you're technically buying it at 40% of the ARV. Then you're also going to put in the 30,000, et cetera. Uh, Hoping that's making sense to you. That's what it looks like. If you list it with an agent, you're going to get full price. If you sell it to someone like me, it's probably going to be somewhere around 70% of its current value. That basically means whatever it will be worth minus 30-ish percent because we've got to pay overhead. We've got to take profits. There's always risk. And we've got to manage our crews. And I'm going to be having to put that other 30,000 in. So I'll buy it for 40 grand. Basically, there's some math that may or may not work for you on your next house, but you just offer the quick cash 70% ARV minus out the cost that you're going to need. And don't just estimate these costs. You could get into trouble. Don't just estimate these costs. Step seven, assumable mortgage. Already, many of you are like, Adam, there's no assumable mortgages. Well, A, I actually did an assumable mortgage on a giant apartment building. It was like 200 something units, $10, 12000000 million. I actually did an assumable mortgage. So I know that they exist, but I know that they pretty much don't in the single family space. But here's the thing if they're saying that they quick cash is not going to work, they can't take the price they need their price. Now we're going to work out some type of a term. you are going to just say, hey, look, why don't we do this? Why don't we do this? I'll call the bank and just double check if I can just assume that mortgage. And they say, what does that mean? And you say, it's simple. The property will just go into my name. The loan will just go into my name and you'll be home free. You can walk away. You don't have to pay a dime. And they're like, that sounds pretty good. And then you call the bank. And of course, like 90% of the time, at least, 95% of the time, they're going to say, no, we don't do assumable mortgages anymore. And that's fine. Because step eight is something that's very similar. Do you, you remember how it goes? Step one and two is refinance and loan mod. Step three and four was rent it out and lease option it to me and I'll be your best tenant. List it with an agent and then quick cash. They're coming in pairs so far. Well, these two come in pairs as well. Step seven is the assumable mortgage, which probably won't work, but it's good for your seller, the owner, it's good for them to first see the terms in those ways. Because when you go to step eight to the subject two, then you're going to be able to say, hey, I talked to the bank. And it looks like they won't let me assume the mortgage for some reason, they're not going to let me do that. So the name on the title will go in my name, but the bank says that that cell is subject to the mortgage staying in your name, which means you'll be in charge of it, you'll be on the hook for it, but here's what we're going to do. Here's what my team's going to make sure that happens or here's what I'm going to make sure that happens is what you'll say here's what we're going to do. And you, you explain to them while the name on the mortgage is going to go subject to, here's some things that I've done. I said, I can attach it to a bank account that is only used for this. I can put in mortgage, I can put in, you know, six months or 12 months of mortgage front. And so you can clearly see that it's in there and I can verify that I don't use this account for anything else. And we'll just get it to, so that it auto pays the mortgage automatic. Or maybe if you don't have 12 months of the mortgage, I guess that could be a lot for a lot of people. So it certainly was for me when I started as well. Put that out there. I get it. I'm not judging. It's a lot of money. So here's another thing that you might be able to communicate if you don't have you know, 12 months or six months, then you can just say, I'll always make the deposit one month early. And so I'll give you... Try to remember what type of access this is, it's the kind of access where your accountant can log in and see transactions, but they're not allowed to really move any money around and they're not allowed to like mess with your funds. It, you could give them the same type of administrative permissions. So, like, hey, just log into the thing and you can see that I'm making a payment one month. I'm putting the funds in there one month in advance. So, all that basically means is you might start with two months. You might start with two months. And then you'll always just be a month ahead and they can log in just to help them feel safe with the house being in now your name, but it being subject to them being responsible for the mortgage. Another thing that you can say to help somebody feel more comfortable with the house staying in your name, but the debt being in their name, because that harms them. Another couple of things you can do is you can talk about I'm going to sell this within three years, or I'm going to do X, Y, Z within three years. Or you can let them know, hey, look, I'm about to put $30,000 into this property, taking that $100,000 property back again, where let's just say the loan is whatever it is. And you um, need to put like 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 100,000, whatever it is that you got to put in and work into the property. And you say, look, I'm on the hook for that. Like I'm putting that all of that on. You better believe I'm going to pay the mortgage on time. Like if I don't pay the mortgage and it goes in default, I'm the one losing out now because I just put 30 grand into the house. So that can be another way that can help someone feel a little bit more comfortable like even though they're keeping the loan in their name for subject 2. So what's number 9 and what's number 10? Let's jump into those, but let's take a quick break for our sponsor, and then we'll get into number nine and number 10. We'll be right back. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Ecospace Real Estate. Ecospace is a Denver, Colorado-based real estate company with a national reach. They provide a unique offering called Flip Your Home, where they utilize their own internal fix and flip crews to flip their clients' homes prior to listings. Their brokerage clients gain, on average, $23,000 of instant equity, which is then taken 100% tax-free. If you'd like to learn more about gaining additional tax-free equity in your home prior to listing, then please visit ecospace.com. And we are back with the Creative Real Estate Podcast. It's your friend, Adam A. Adams, filling in again as I mentioned at the beginning of episode, filling in for Jason J Lou Lewis, your friend. Jason's such a good guy, and I wanted to share these 10 steps with you today. Mostly because of this news that is going on with Zillow, whereas Zillow is their stock price went way down, and they might have to get bailed out. So we'll see what happens with Zillow. The thing that came out was that they basically said that two two thirds of the properties around the country are actually underwater right now. We're right there at the very end of 2021, and they're talking about like, hey. Right now, two-thirds of the properties are underwater. And so today in this episode, we've just been talking a little bit about like how do you negotiate a creative strategy to support somebody if they are underwater, if they have to get out of their property fast. And we talked a lot about like foreclosure, pre-foreclosure, the alternatives to foreclosure. And then we started sharing the 10-step sequence. We've gotten through the first eight, and I'm about to share. The last two, but since we did have a commercial break, I want to just make sure you got those first eight. Refinance and loan mod are one and two, and they're kind of like a pair. Owner rents it out and lease option are, are kind of like a pair, and they're third and fourth. Fifth and sixth is list it with an agent. Okay, well you can't. Well, why don't you do quick cash with me? Seven and eight is let me see if we can do an assumable mortgage where I'll own the property and the mortgage will come into my name. Step eight is sounds like the bank wasn't able to let me have the mortgage in my name. They want it to stay in your name. And then I shared with you a few ways that you could help to give a little bit of peace of mind to that seller, to the owner, who's actually gonna have to keep this loan in their name when they don't own the property. And we mentioned this briefly at the very beginning of the episode or toward the beginning of the episode, a do on sale clause number eight. I forgot to mention this before the break, but with the subject to, technically there is a due on sale clause. Now here's what you need to know. Yes, all of the loan documents that I've ever seen, I hate reading, so I've probably only read a few. (laughs) All of the loan documents that I've seen actually have the subject to, like if there's a sell, regardless of the loan, they basically say, we're going to, they almost just say, it's an absolute, we just are going to call it due. But here's the thing. If they're getting their money, they're probably not going to. And I'm not asking you, write this down. Adam is not asking me to go around the back of the lender. You got to know that. This is important. Like I'm getting passionate now because people have thought that I'm trying to tell you that you should go around the back of the lender to avoid the do-on-sell clause. You should hide it. You should... People talk about putting things into a land trust, the name of a trust. Here, you, you become the owner of this trust. We'll call this trust something with like your name, and then you'll assign the beneficial interest of the trust to me. And like they say that this is the right way to do it. Dude, this is not the right way to do it. Sure, it will work. Sure, it will usually fly under the radar. But as you could tell if you've been listening, I already talked to the lender on step two. I already talked to the lender, whether it's Wells Fargo or US Bank or JP Morgan or whatever. I already talked to him about the assumable mortgage. And I'm simply continuing to be on the phone with them asking about the subject too. So I want to make sure that you understand that I'm literally telling the bank, okay, well, you can't do the loan mod. All right. Well, you can't do this. All right. You're not willing to do that? Oh, you can't put the mortgage in my name? No. All right. Well, we're going to have to do it subject to. And you just tell them and they don't usually care. Like every single time I've done this. Okay. Not every time. There's been maybe like six or seven times-ish where the lender just is confused. They don't really know what I'm talking about. It's going over the head. They think that it's against the law. They've never dealt with it before with the, like, the assumable mortgage or the subject to stuff. And they were already a little nervous that I was talking on the behalf of the owner of the property for the loan mod. But by now, that person and I are friends. And usually by this time when I'm talking about subject to, they're like, well, I guess that would work. I don't think we'll call it due. And look, I don't know what makes them call it due, but it's not human's. It's got to be some type of algorithm or something, but it's never happened to me. And as I mentioned earlier in this episode, about four weeks ago, I was at an event with a whole bunch of just amazing legends in the real estate space, just incredible people. There is about a hundred, over a hundred people there. And most of them are the people that started the infomercials or like have the other podcasts in this industry. Most of the like real estate podcasters were there. Most of the real estate influencers were there. Most of the people that do coaching and teaching and educating were in this group. And it was just awesome. And I don't know a single one of them ever had to worry about the do on clause. Boom. All right. So so sorry if that hurt you yeah, We're going to number nine, seller carry. Seller carry is number nine. You were like, hey, I wonder what number nine is. I had to sit through an ad I had to sit through, and I'm going through the stuff that I already heard a little bit before. I've been wanting to know what number nine was. It's seller carry. So subject two didn't work. The lender basically says, Hell no, I'm not gonna let you do that. Like, we will call this due. That is not cool, or you're you're gonna be in some trouble. You might not like we're gonna call it due. Basically, it is the only real bad thing that could happen. And so you're like, Okay, well, Mr. and Mrs. Seller why don't we do a seller carry? And they're like, what's that? (laughs) It basically is that there is seller carry and then there's something called wraparound mortgage. I mentioned it earlier, like in the very beginning. Seller carry and wraparound mortgages are about the exact same thing. It's just that seller carry technically means that the seller literally owns the whole property. Like When I bought my triplex, And I had stellar credit, but my business was... The company that I had started was less than two years old, or I guess I didn't have two years of tax returns yet. And so the lenders were like, we're not doing that again. No more stated mortgages. This was at the end of 2008 when I was buying that multifamily and it wasn't working. So I reached out to Tom, as I mentioned before, and I was like, hey, Tom, could you buy this? Because I know you got the cash. Could you buy this whole thing? And then just make the mortgage out to me. And Tom was like, yeah, let's do it. So perfect. You know, it's funny. I would have asked a million people because going back to the quote from that book that I read, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, instead of saying, I can't, ask yourself, how can I? I remember I went to so many banks and they kept saying, "Um, no, 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 no. You know, Stated mortgages are over because of the crisis. We're at the end of 2008. And... Instead of me just like giving up and saying, well, I guess I can't buy a multifamily, I just asked a private person. I just simply asked somebody that... I had a handyman company and I was doing work on one of his properties. I think I had done work on two of his properties, but the current time I was just hanging out with him. He came in from California and and we were hanging out at this fairly large home in a really nice place in, I think it was like trying to remember that if it was American Fork or at any rate, Utah County somewhere. And I just asked him, I said, hey, I know you made a few bucks on this last property that you sold. Would you ever want to partner up? Would you ever want to do a thing? So anyway, he did a seller carry. And it's different than what you're probably going to have to use when you actually do step nine. Seller carry was Tom bought the property outright. He just paid cash. And then he made a mortgage to me. I went on title, and I had a mortgage in the amount of you know my interest in the property and then that's called a seller carry seller carry back or whatever so really, what we're talking about is what you will probably have to do if you, if it's for a foreclosure okay now these strategies work i mean if people are going through foreclosure, which might be happening with this new Zillow thing, but it also is like death and divorce and moving and just there's so much, so many different options. So if the person has a loan on it, it's basically seller carry, but it's technically called a wraparound mortgage. Whereas you have the seller making a mortgage out to you, but that mortgage technically encompasses the already current mortgage, like that subject to mortgage. The mortgage that's already on there is also going to be included in the the wraparound mortgage. Okay, it's the same thing: seller carry or wraparound mortgage. But there are three takeaways that you need to know for w- when you're negotiating seller carry. Because there's three main steps for even asking about it. And my recommendation is that you start by asking if they'll do principal only. And you don't say it like that, by the way. You're not going to use the words "Will you do principal only?" They're like, "What only what? What else would there be?" And they're like. You're just adding questions by saying that. Same thing with interest only. And then the third one is a fully amortized loan. But basically, what I say is, and this I learned from Matt Terrio as well. So it's the principal only. And it is the way that you say it is all right, you want $500,000 or $100,000. One hundred is going to be easier. You want $100,000. I can pay you 500 a month for the next 20 years. I need to put a calculator in front of me to make sure that I'm saying it right. But the point is, and I need to get his, Matt's exact one. If you can check out his podcast, you should. You should listen to this podcast and Matt Terrio. It's another just fantastic podcast. He's such a good guy. The point is that you offer principal only, which is basically, there is no interest. There's no, the loan is like the balance. It's, I'm going to pay you a hundred thousand and I'm going to pay it to you In increments of three hundred a month, five hundred a month, one thousand a month, twelve hundred a month, until it's paid off, and then you extrapolate it out. Okay, this is going to take twenty years. This is going to take twenty months. Whatever it is, this is going to take a certain amount of time. Then you'll be you'll be paid off and good to go. If they say no, I want interest, and you say I can do interest. What do you think the banks are doing? Three percent right now. Whatever the banks are doing when you listen to this episode. The banks are doing 3% right now. What do you think's fair? Uh, 3%? And they're like, oh, I was thinking like 5%. And you're like, well, let me do do the numbers and calculate it. $100,000, 5% interest only is $500, I think. Let me, no, I think it's 5,000 per year. So then you would, I'm going to do the math. 100,000 times 0.05 is 5,000, but you divide it by the 12 months, okay? And so that's 416.67 four, what'd you say? Four, just say 420, 420 bucks, just a round number. I'll just give you 420 for the next, divide that into a hundred thousand for the next 41 months. Okay. I remembered what Matt said. It was 40 months. It was basically whatever the number is divided by 40. So I'll give you 5%. Perfect. I'll give you four, $420 for the next... 40 months or for the next year or two or three, interest only. And then I'll refinance the property where the loan is now in my name. And then you can own it. Yeah, I mean, you will own it. Like you, the listener who's doing the strategy. I'm not telling you to tell the seller that. So basically, principal only, interest only, and just pick the number that you can afford. Make sure you're factoring in all the expenses that you're going to have to pay. Because I don't want you to be losing money on any of these properties while you're helping these people out. I want it to be a win-win-win. Absolutely. The seller needs to win and get what they wanted and be happy with it. You need to win and be making money. It's not beneficial to you if you're spending time and making no money, obviously. And the tenant needs whoever's going to live in the property also needs that win as well, whether that's you or whether you're renting it out to somebody. You've got to make sure that you can pay the taxes, interest, the mortgage, and the taxes. You got to make sure you can pay that stuff. P-I-T-I is the fast way to say that. Pity. You got to be able to pay your P-I-T-I and you've got to be able to pay like the roof and the painting whenever that needs to happen. So I want to make sure that you're making enough that that can happen. So you've got to have profit built in or else it's a bad business to get in. So the third one is they're like, well, that's not cool. You'll never pay it off. Or one big balloon, what happens if you don't? You can, if principal only didn't work or interest only didn't work, then you can go to amortize. So that's all for step nine of the 10 exact steps of the sequence. Why don't you sell it to me and carry the note back? I.e., we can do a wraparound mortgage. And If you need help finding a title company with that, let me know, let Jason know. Jason can help you find a title company that can help you with that. Because not every single title company is going to know what a wraparound mortgage is. So just notate that ahead of time. You might have to call a few places, get a couple referrals. But let's go to step 10. Step 10 is you could partner. And now this is one, the ones that I did have done the most. I've done loan mod a lot. I've helped a lot of people rent it out, a handful of people rent it out. Uh, Lease option. Yes, we've done lease option list with agent. Obviously, that's probably the biggest one that we've helped people do. And if you're licensed, you could do it. You could list it yourself and make the money. Or if you're licensed and it's, you know, you're part of a brokerage where you might be able to get some type of 80 20 or 50 50 from. The person who ends up listing it. So you can say, hey, I'll make a referral. And you shouldn't make a commission. Technically, you shouldn't make a commission like if you're not licensed. But if you are licensed, it will be very easy for you to split that commission with the person that you refer it to. What else? Assumable mortgages. I've done it on an apartment building one time. Subject two, no, haven't done the subject to, but had a lot of friends that have done subject to Seller carry, yes, absolutely. You even heard one of my seller carries a moment ago. The partner is another one that we've done many, many times. Like I've been able to just connect with people that have the property, whether it was some of my properties that were in like Ohio or wherever they were. And I was able to connect, like, for example, on a couple of the properties that we bought, like a little portfolio of single family houses in Ohio. And we were able to partner. We're able to do the work, sell it. Oh, and one one of the ones in Florida too, Sebastian, Florida. I don't know how to explain. It's Gold Coast. But at at any rate, we've done that a few times and it works and it's great. And basically, the negotiation is endless. It's like, we'll keep it in your name. I'll do the work. We just have to agree that we're going to split the profits in this way. Basically, I'll give you your end price that you wanted all along, but I got to flip it first with my money and my risk, but I'll give you that price that you were asking for. I can give you the price that earlier you wanted quick cash. Remember, you wanted to list it with an agent, but you would have listed it with an agent, but you needed it fast. So you wanted quick cash. Partnering, let's find a middle ground where what's really your bottom dollar that you'd be happy with. And if I can make that happen, I'll put in the work and I'll sell it and I'll take on the risk and I'll make sure that you get your amount at sale. And that's one of the ways that you can partner with people. It's really cool. It's really helpful. And people understand that if you go through the, these 10 steps in order that you will be able to, you're really doing all of this in their best interest. And they can feel it. They know you're there for their reasons. And you're more likely to get a lot of the number sixes. I mean, it's nuts. I've cleaned up many times. With here's what I mean by that, I've gone into somebody's house in 2015, 2016, 2017. I did a lot more of the single family than I did multifamily. 2017 is really a big transition for me into buying. We got up to 1,400 units and we're down to like a thousand now. But um, going through the ten steps has been a way. To go in, and somebody said, "Oh yeah, these guys came in and they said that they would only give me fifty grand." These guys came in and said they would only give me three hundred grand for a six hundred thousand dollars house. And it's like, whoa, you know, like I feel you. That sounds crazy. I'm really sorry to hear that. I'm here to help you out of your situation. Have you tried refinancing? No. Have you tried uh, tried a loan mod? I could call them for you, and we could try to make something happen. No. Why well, Why don't you just rent it out? No. Well let's do a lease option. Basically, you're renting it out to me and I'll take care of all the stuff. No? Well, just list it with an agent, get the highest and best price. Don't even think about the quick cash. No, that's not going to work. Okay. Well, I can do quick cash, but I've got to tell you the price that you were getting from those other people are pretty spot on and I can do it, but there's no way that I can afford to be in business and pay you more than they were saying. Now the seller's like, oh, well, now that I see that you're here for my best interest, now that you've been the doctor with me, asking me at every step of the way, I guess I'll just sell it to you for a quick cash. I can tell you're here for the right reasons. And that's happened to me, literally, just because of the different approach. That's really what I wanted you to take away. It's been great hanging out with you today on, on this episode. I've definitely missed you. By the way, I will mention that I have another podcast. It's called The Podcast on Podcasting. I wanted to share it with you with uh, Jason's permission. I wanted to share it with you. I've been telling you a lot of times on this podcast that you should have a podcast. If you're interested in it, it's literally just called The Podcast on Podcasting. Feel free to look wherever you find this podcast you're listening to now. No pressure. Jumping over there. Starting a podcast is not for everybody. But uh, if it is something you're interested in, that's where to go. So at any rate, 10 ways, 10 steps, exact sequence, do it in order, do not go out of order. And this is how I've been able to make tens of thousands of dollars through individual transactions with a few sellers out there. So it's been a lot of fun. It's been a huge part of my journey and I learned it the wrong way. I asked these steps out of order and I finally learned if I put them in this order, it's going to work and just make yourself a cheat sheet. Take it with you to wherever house you go to and just go in order. Just ask in their best interest in order the way that we're going. If they can tell that your heart is in the right place, they might sell it to you for the quick cash anyway. So appreciate you. And we will see you on the next episode. And I'm excited I get to say the closeout. Until next time, think outside the box.